Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the BMW Blog Podcast. This is episode 33. We have a very special guest for you today. It's Jason Camisa. He's been a long-time automotive journalist, uh, YouTuber, television host. I mean, the guy's done it all. Uh, he's driven everything there is to drive, um, you know, and he's written and hosted for everyone there is to write and host for. So the guy's got some incredible stories and a lot of really funny stories about BMW and the industry. Um, the interview ran long, so it's going to be a two-part interview. This is just part one. So uh, stay tuned for part two, which is coming very soon, uh, and enjoy. All right, so thank you, everyone, for listening today. Uh, today we have a very special guest. This is uh, We have Jason Camisa, longtime car journalist. You've probably seen him on a million YouTube videos uh, you know, for many different companies before. Um, and we're very excited to have him here. So hi, Jason. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, but where's my check? You guys said there was going to be a wire transfer first or Tell something. Me the mail. Like, just yeah. the snail just mail. Apple Pay it to me. Come on, yeah. something. The snail <laughs> mail. Yeah. Hi, Jason. Um, how are you guys doing? Isn't this uh, fun times in the world? Very fun. Crazy <laughs> times. World. I mean, it's so crazy. It's, yeah. I mean, like to me personally, uh, it's just been weird. I mean, I was just, uh, you know, talking to people that I haven't, it's, it has never been a time where I was in a single city for more than a month, probably. So this is the first time that I haven't flown since like February. So it's kind of mm. strange, you know, not not flying, not going to events, not kind of seeing people. So it took me like a while to get used to this. And uh, honestly, I'm kind of excited to kind of, you know, get going to some events, but I don't think it's happening anytime soon. I think you're right. And I think the, the weird thing is, so I just right before we started recording, I'll give you guys a little bit of a peek behind the scenes. I actually had to ask Horatio where he lives. I mean, I've known you for 15 years, probably. And yeah. we only have ever interacted in airports and on the roads in, in, in yeah. press trips and, exactly. and car shows around the world. Like our lives were existed to be in hotels and planes. And that's just all over. Right and that's now. how you build friendships too, right? I mean, it's, that's kind of, that's kind of how, you know, friendships are being built. You know, that's how you kind of meet people. You, you know, you strike some really good connections. And I think that's kind of what I miss the most, right? I mean, like aside from all the content and everything else, you know, that comes with it, I think it's just, you know, meeting great people and journalists and, you know, car people and, you know, company people and designers and all of that. It's always been exciting to kind of be yeah. part of that. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new world for us, but hopefully it's a temporary new world. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hurting content too, right? I mean, I'm, especially you probably, you know, since you're doing like a lot of videos, it's not as easy to film, right? I mean, how do you handle that these days? You know, basically right at the beginning of lockdown, I came up with this series that I just have been doing for ECME's YouTube channel. And it was a, I, I jokingly called it my COVID approved um, series. And rather than being out on a racetrack, sliding cars around and shredding tires and being a terrible human being, I'm in a studio being a terrible human being without the tire smoke. And the, the thought there was I had access to a big warehouse building with no one in it, basically. And I could just cool. be me and one camera guy um, staying away from each other. And yeah. uh, it's been successful. It's done really well. I'm very happy with it. Uh, but it's a very different thing uh, than what I'm used to doing. Um, and it just, on the content creation side, everything, you know, like I was jealous of all of my friends who were like, oh, I haven't worked in a month. My job got that much more difficult because, and now I know, of course, there's pressure that I put on myself, but like, I know everyone's home and they're all bored. And so there's, you know, an audience waiting to get content. And now I have to figure out a way to do it without traveling, without <laughs> coughing at anyone. <laughs> and it was just, uh, yeah, it's been a, a busy couple months. Nice. Yeah, for Good. sure. It's, a, it's a definitely a weird adjustment, especially like in our industry. Like you said, you know, half of it is travel, half of it is driving cars, and you can't do it anymore. So yeah. it's a really weird adjustment. Yeah. yeah. Strange little things like, you know, I get a press car almost all the time at home, and I have a, a rule of like, I'm not going to give a car back without having put at least 100 miles on it. And I live in a part of the, of the world where distances are really small, things are very close. I can get I have a 20-mile loop that will get me on seven, seven to 10 minutes of insane back road twisties with two jumps and a bunch of other really, you know, like it's a horrible suspension test loop, basically, followed by suburban stuff, followed by highway with a 700-foot climb across the Golden Gate Bridge, which has like got huge crosswinds, and then across the city of San Francisco with a 35% grade. And, you know, like I have this one little test loop that's 20 miles long that I can do things to cars that you couldn't do for four hours in any direction when I lived, for example, in Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, 
But I would still endeavor to put 100 miles on a car. And now when they started bringing press cars during COVID, I'm like, you guys got to be okay with like 30 miles because right. I don't have anywhere to go. And I have seven of my own cars that are crying, like, drive me, <laughs> and leaking oil all over the ground because I'm not moving. You know, I, I, there's just no, no one's going anywhere. And so there's exactly. been weird adjustments. Right. Like you wouldn't expect. Yeah, I've had the similar thing with, I've just had like six cars in a row back to back and I, I barely drove them anywhere near as much as I would normally because I just, like you said, there's nowhere to go and right. there's nothing to do. Everything's right. closed. Everything's locked down. Right. Crazy. Yeah. And I'm too miserable. I'm too busy. All the time that I would have otherwise dreamed that I would spend in the garage working on the cars, I'm spending listening to podcasts from epidemiologists on <laughs> on, <laughs> on viruses and, and, and COVID. I'm like, this is like, this sucks three hours a day of, of, of research on, but I'm, I'm a, let me tell you, I'm an expert on epidemiology now. Just <laughs> give me the, give me the PhD and I'll tell you everything you need to know. Whatever. Joking. <laughs> So let me let me jump in with the question because I know I mean I've read somewhere and I've heard you talk about it and we can jump directly into the BMW world a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um I think you know I I read an article a long time ago that you really your love for cars started with an E30 uh BMW. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was definitely one of the cars that left an impression on you. So it's that it's that true or it was just a legend? No, I think I wrote that for somewhere, someone. You know, my, my love of cars started apparently by the time I was three or four, I was driving my mom and my twin sister crazy by just pointing out every car on the road and be like, Buick and shitbox and whatever else <laughs> what I was saying. But um, I like my little boy voice and how he curses. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the, one, of the, one of the moments of my life that defined my taste in cars was um, my... My friend Alex, her dad, was a doctor, but he also taught like uh, track days. He was like HPDE instructor um, mm -hmm. with Ferrari clubs and whatever. And they had an M3 and they had a 325 um, and a motor, E30, 325, and a Rover 3500, which is like the coolest thing in the world. And um, yeah. he picked me up on this one snowy morning to, to take me and Alex uh, to like some museum in Manhattan. We lived in Westchester, New York, so right outside of the city, very hilly. Um, and it was snowing and I remember my mom, like, he's not really going to drive you guys into the city. And I hear this screaming motor and it was an Etta. So it was not really screaming that high, but just wah, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> and I look out the window and here's this white E30 coming sideways up the street with like a rooster tail <laughs> off the back. And I'm like, this is so cool. Um, so it comes to like a, like a sideways stop in front of the house. And my mom's like, uh, are you really getting in the car with him? And I'm like, oh, he's, you know, professional driver. And he, from one end of town to the other, to pick up two other friends, and then the entire way to Manhattan, sat in the rev limiter sideways, just drifted <laughs> this car 20 miles. Um, and the noise of that M20 plus, you know, the M20's rev limiter is just kind of like one of the best sounding rev limiters of all the time. Just, mm. I, I just was remember being in the backseat, hysterical laughing at like the feeling of being sideways at 20 miles an hour <laughs> down like the Sawmill River Expressway. Just wah, bah, 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 It was just, yeah, I, I'll never awesome. forget that. And yeah, E30 was going to be on the list from that moment. And then you and did you, get an E30, right? I mean, I you think have you, one, you, you Yeah. Yo, yeah, yeah. 18 years and 325 on, 18, it's a 325 I wagon. Um, and, and you won an award at Pebble Beach, right? At the, not Pebble Beach, at the uh, Legends of Ottawa? Legends of Ottawa. Yeah, that yeah. was first that was first place concord that car um nice. and then I, I i bought that car for 1500 euro a long time ago oh, and really? it was yeah it was high mileage and 325s in in germany were worthless um because they they were too expensive to insure so and register import the car yeah so you yep. imported the car gotcha um, yeah i think it had like so, 170,000 miles i remember you telling the story once where it does now yeah. kilometers uh it was it was too 228,000 kilometers when I got it. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And so like 100 and whatever that is, 140,000 miles is 170 something now. Um, and it's a Specky 30 underneath. Um, so full Specky 30 suspension kit minus the springs. I raised it a little bit because I made it 50 feet and shattered my IS lower lip spoiler. Um, <laughs> so I raised it up a little bit, but it's got the bars and the reinforcement and the camber plates and whatever. And it's got a 2.7 instead of a, a 2.5 liter. Um, so it looks stock, but it, uh, it definitely moves. And, <laughs> and where did you find it in Germany? 
Uh, it was outside of Stuttgart. Um, really? I was, it was in the, I was there with my best friend who's no, no longer with us, but who's, was always behind all of my vehicular misadventures. And uh, he bought a 126 Mercedes, so the, the, the first Bruno Sacco S-Class. He bought an SEC, a 500 SEC. And he was like, misery loves company, you're buying one too. And I'm like, the car is 11 years old. I can't get it into the country. Uh, and he's like, we'll figure that out later. You're buying it. And he found, we were looking, I still have the classified ad. We have the, the paper, newspaper classified ad. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if I want a blue one. And I had driven a 324 TD, like turbo diesel, it was silver. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I took one look at this blue when I saw the car and I'm like, oh no, now I gotta buy this car. And, <laughs> and then figure out a way to, where to store it in Germany and then eventually get it home. And it was, it was quite the experience. So you stored it in Germany the rule that whole now. time? Oh, okay, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, the rule's 25 years. And it was, and the car was, this was June of 02, so the car wasn't even 12 years old yet. And uh, gotcha. we're not gonna discuss what happened from there. <laughs> Miraculously, the car appeared in the United States. Nice. Um, and uh, you know is now over twenty five years old, so <laughs> could be seen in public. <laughs> right, um, right. And uh, yeah, I've had it for eighteen years. Um, wow. Yeah. Nice. So, so I mean, you're definitely a fan of uh, wagons because I've I know you've talked about it quite a bit. Oh yeah, my the best daily driver I ever had was an <clears throat> sorry E thirty nine wagon. So I've had, I think I've had more BMWs than any other car through the years. And an E forty six. I had I've had two E thirties. Two E39s had a 528 sedan and a 525 wagon, um, and I, but wagons always win. I mean, why would you not choose the variant of the sports sedan that you can open the back through a refrigerator in and then go right. drifting around corners? Like right. I just never <laughs> like trunk. Why? I don't get it. Yeah, um, the, yeah, that's one topic that we can talk. But before we get into that, uh, what's what's the other brand that that you love aside from BMW or like? I'm a whore. Um, and I mean, like, I really do love everything, but I have at the moment, so I have seven cars at the moment, three of them are Volkswagens. So, and I do, I'm accused of being a VW fanboy more than anything else. Um, and so one of them is I have a, uh, 1987 Scirocco 16 valve and okay, that I've, yeah, nah, I love that. That I've had for 23 years. That's kind of my, like, that's my forever car. Like if I ever have to get down to one car, it's that, um, okay. And I, then I built a cabriolet, a Mark One cabriolet, so the rabbit convertible, basically, um, mm -hmm. to be my Scirocco's mechanically identical twin. So they both have built two-liter 16-valve engines, and it's same, same mechanically. So I, I wanted to be able to experience that the way that car drives, but without risking parking the Scirocco in the city and stuff. Right. Um, and now I have an e-golf as my sort of daily beater. Um, and I keep now I'm making all kinds of <laughs> mods on that because I can't be trusted. <laughs> so like that's now got big sticky t wheels and tires on it. And I just was at 034 Motorsport yesterday and they, uh, I got I picked up a, um, a rear sway bar for it because <laughs> I just need to have the picture of that thing like oversteering just to make everyone laugh and shut up <laughs> all the anti front wheel drive, anti electric car hate. Um, right. But I also have a Mercedes, a Ferrari, a Lotus, and I think that's it. That's it. That's okay. It's pretty impressive collection that's pretty great <laughs> i'm a hoarder <laughs> i'm a hoarder so we mentioned tourings and i gotta ask you this so on the bmw side i mean they don't have any uh you know touring wagons coming to the us and basically that's one thing that i always see when when we post something you know on a on a three series touring or a five series everybody says you know bring it to the us bring it to the us but then when I talk to the dealers or maybe even BMW North America, they always say, well, we would bring it, but there is no demand. So what do you think? Like, who's right? I mean, do you think customers will buy it if, if they bring it? I mean, they did have a three series touring and didn't really sell well. Mm -hmm. So you got to remember who the, I have a lot of very strong feelings about this. So you got to remember who the customer of BMW North America is. And as much as we'd like to think it's us, it's not, it's the dealers. No, it's not, yeah. It's the dealers, yeah. right? The dealers are the one yeah. that buy the car. And so the best examples I can give you are that, you know, on the one side, you have Mercedes that has an E-Class wagon. Um, an E-Wagon in certain geographic areas outsells E-Sedan. So where I live, the little kind of crazy little market where I live, E-Wagon outsells E-Sedan. Um, their E-Wagon e customers are the wealthiest of all Mercedes customers. And yeah, that I've, I've heard that, right? yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so there's a very small subset of the market who want a wagon, be probably because they're European and in thought process or whatever, um, or they just don't want some ostentatious SUV. And if they do, they're going to get a Range Rover because that's kind of the best of all of them. Um, on the flip side of that, you have the case like the Jaguar uh, XF Sport Brake. So mm -hmm. Jaguar XF sedan is their sort of five series sedan, uh, sized sedan, and they make a wagon version of it. Um, and they also make an F-Pace, which is the SUV version of that. So this would be like an X5 versus a five wagon versus five sedan. Um, the, the way they priced the wagon, and this is just corporate MSRP pricing. I'm not even talking about what happens on the dealer level. Um, for you to get an XF sedan, let's say it was $51,000, right? We'll just, I'll make up that price. Um, and all these are sort of an example price. Let's say it's 51,000 bucks for an XF sedan. It, the F Pace, which is the same component set and the same car, basically just an SUV form, um, would be $49,999, right? So just right around the same price, maybe a hair lower. Mm -hmm. um, and the wagon was $30,000 more. So anywhere, and, and in reality, it was between like 21 and 29, depending on the trim level. So then you walk into a dealership and say, I would like to have an XF uh, wagon and the sport brake. And the dealer's like, oh, you stupid fool. We don't have those. Uh, <laughs> but we do have 17 F paces that we're, we're floor planning. So the dealers bought them or they're financing mm -hmm. them and they're paying every month for this car to depreciate on their lot, knowing that every month the car's worth less and they've paid more for it. Um, and you say, no, 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 I really, really want a sport brake. And they're like, well, there's another one at another dealership, but we don't really want to do that dealer trade. So we'll give you that at full MSRP plus charge you $500 to do a dealer trade plus $1,000 to transport the car. So now you're at $35,000 over sticker. We'll give you an F-Pace, uh, which we have on the lot. And because it's right here and you can drive away with it right now, we'll knock 10,000 bucks off of it and give you 0% financing. And the, the price differential in the real world um, and I wrote a column on this at, at Road and Track because I was so friggin' mad at them, was, <laughs> was more than twice. So oh you God. could lease, just even on a lease, you can lease an mm -hmm. F-Pace for, like, I think it was $569 a month, and the XF was $1,280 and oh. something. And the same thing happened with Volkswagen. Volkswagen had the, the, jet, the Golf Sport Wagon, which was brilliant, and then they got a new Tiguan, um, which is a very, very good compact SUV. Um, <clears throat> and I was sitting at lunch, or dinner with the, the poor guy who does product planning for the golf lineup. And he was like, I, you know, the, the wagon, so Horatio, you know, that's like, it's always, everyone's always attacking the product planners about wagons. Yeah, okay. And this poor guy is like, uh, um, uh, yeah, uh, but li listen, as soon as we, uh, as soon as we came out with the Tiguan, I don't know why we just can't sell the golf sport wagon. And you know, that moment where like your vision goes a little wonky and you like, <laughs> and you pick up a, a knife and you wanna stab someone in the throat <laughs> with it, I almost killed this guy. I'm like, are you FPQ kidding me? And he was like, what are you, like what's the matter? And I pulled up VW.com and right on the front page of Volkswagen.com were their lease offers. And it was three times the price to lease a Jetta, uh, a Golf Sport Wagon as it was to, to lease the Tiguan. And not only is it in the case of like the XF, is it, effectively the same car. But in Volkswagen's case, the SUV has the 1.8 liter instead of the 1.4 liter. And it's got, I'm sorry, the two liters of the 1.8 and it's got more gears in the transmission and it's got a third row and it's a bigger, better, more evolved car. Mm -hmm. And it's three times the price. And I, and I said to this guy, like, you guys, it's your fault. Don't you dare tell me that no one wants these wagons when you'd have to be an idiot to buy the wagon over the Tiguan. Right. And the reality is car companies don't want us to buy wagons because wagons don't get them EPA credits for SUVs. So SUVs have, SUVs not only, anything that's considered a, an off-road vehicle is a subset of all of these EPA and DOT classifications that, mm -hmm. that give them extra fuel economy credit, that give them extra safety credit. So SUVs do not have to conform to the same safety standards that cars do. Um, they, don't have, they don't even have to have airbags right? Car companies do this because they know that the market would refuse it. But, but they want you to buy the SUV because there's already a four to five or six or $10,000 incentive built into that car just yeah. for the fuel economy and whatever else. And the same thing goes for BMW. There's, I'm sure, 
an incentive for three series, uh, a market for three series wagon. We know this. We hear everyone. We, there are there are too many people on the internet saying, "I want a wagon." The problem yeah. is the dealers won't stock them because they will. They want to move whatever's the the most easy to move. So they'll yeah. get a silver, white, black, or red um, premium pack with heated seat, automatic yeah. X3 instead, because uh, it'll be an easier sell. And then when those are in stock, then they push back on the company onto BMW FS financial services and say, mm-hmm. we want you guys, we have all this extra inventory. We need you to throw incentives on it. So then they throw the lease deal on that car and it pushes these cars to one homogenous silver X3 premium <laughs> with, a, <laughs> with a winter pack. Um, and then every dealer stocks all those and that ones up being half the price of a three series wagon. Um, and then corporate says, well, no one's buying them. Well, it's the dealers. The dealers are the problem. Yeah. Um, yes. So there was so. a movement. That, I mean, I heard actually this back in January before the uh, the pandemic and, and the lockdowns. There was a movement going to be started from the dealer side to kind of trying to promote the wagons and kind of get a feel from the customers to see if they can push you know, BMW to bring them over. But I guess they had to stop that since it wasn't the right time to kind of do that. So I think some of the dealers want to do this. I, I just uh, I posted yesterday a um, M340i Touring, which is absolutely fantastic car. It's a, one of those special editions, so a cool color, frozen gray with a blue interior, so very, very different. Mm-hmm. And there was a dealer out of out of North Carolina, Hendrick BMW, that posted, you know, a poll saying, you know, would you buy this car if it comes to the U.S.? And it was absolutely yes. I mean, most of the people voted yes. I would definitely buy the car. I mean, of course, it's a small subset. It's Instagram. It's not necessarily the right the customer base. But well, uh, what they have to do. Yeah. They, what they have to see, so you can always ask people and people say yes. And the examples, all car companies come back and say, see, no one does this. Acura did this with the TSX Sport Wagon. They did it as a way to shut up the journalists, I think, because they yeah. made this car and then no one bought it. But they, what they did was throw all the incentives on the, on the SUVs. So yeah. no one bought this. And they made options packages that didn't make any sense and, 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 and. The U.S. market is so different than European market because, because of our dealer network. And the dealer stock yeah. model, whereas in you know Europe, people special order their cars individually. That's how you buy a car in Europe. Yeah. You say, "I want this color with this spec and this engine," and they have seventeen different engines to choose from and fifty-eight thousand build combinations. And we have the dealers going silver with a premium pack, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a different mentality for like, yeah. for sure. I mean, so, when it comes to that. So to, to kind of piggyback on that, I have a question, and this is going to get me some some hate from BMW fans. Uh-huh. But um, what's the deal with the? What do you think is the reason for the Audi RS6 then? Because that seems like an odd car to sell at this time, especially given everything you just said. It's like it seems odd that they would sell such an expensive wagon here in the states. You just hit the number on that. You you hit it right on the head when you said the word expensive. <laughs> so. <laughs> So there's, you can do anything you want with enough money, right? Volkswagen pr- right. proved that with the R32, for example. You bring in 5,000, you know, and you can, as long as you can sell 5,000, you, you have to pay for the homologation, meaning getting that car past crash tests and everything else. And so you add enough money to the price of the car and somehow, and you suddenly have a business case. In the case of the RS6, um, to homologate it for the U.S. wasn't difficult because the powertrain is already on sale here and, the, and the, the rough body style is already on sale here. So you're talking about a couple million bucks to get it through the governmental regulations stuff. Um, and then, okay, so you've you got to pay back $3 million. Let's, let's call it $10 million. And you want to sell 100 cars. Well, divide that up and you put, you put that as a price premium on the car and you can make money doing it. And I think oh. Audi made the right choice and saying, you know what, so long as we can break even on this, and I'm sure they'll make bank on it, but it, you know, as long as we can break even on it, it's worth this as a brand builder. And this was something that BMW has, was always great at, is saying, you know what, it's a low volume car, but it's a brand builder for us. And it's very important that we have it here. Um, so GTI has always been that way for Volkswagen. Obviously, M3, was, is, that's the car that makes the whole BMW brand. Um, yeah. and you know, the E30 M3, like every M car, every, you know, enthusiast M car mm-hmm. derives directly from an M3. And by the way, let's not 
ignore that this week one sold for two hundred and fifty thousand yeah, dollars yeah, no, plus a buyer's fee, <laughs> making it a two hundred and sixty-five thousand yeah. dollar car. Or by the time you get it home with sales tax, three hundred thousand dollar car. Um, <laughs> the whole brand revolves around that one product, and they couldn't sell it. Right? They got greedy. Right? They they couldn't sell five thousand of them in in like in the U.S. That's not good. But it, the brand it's very important to the brand. Um, and that's that's what Audi's doing with his R6, no question about it. They're saying this is going to make our performance. Good looking card, I mean, honestly, oh, it's God. looking stunning. Oh yeah, it really is. I got a lot of flack for saying I like the way it looks better than the M5. It's way better looking than the M5. <laughs> I mean, look yeah, here. If you want the BMW guys to stop hating, you'd be like, yeah, the engine's hanging in front of the headlights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. won't turn. You know, you can make fun of all the Audi things about it, mm -hmm. but you can't. You can't argue with the, the way that thing looks. My God, yeah, looks great. Exactly. So and you mentioned that E30 M, like M3. Tell me more. What do you think about that one? Like, do you think that's the that's the real price? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You think so? so? Oh yeah. No question about it. So I I predicted 150. For, oh, I should say I did not watch the bidding. I was working, and I I only saw it afterwards. I almost fell off my chair. Um, <laughs> I predicted 150, and all my friends told me I was completely out of my mind. We are at a point where 80s and you know 80s collectible cars uh, are reaching genuine collectability and in that case you have the the nicest one in the world quote unquote right um mm -hmm. anytime you have the nicest one in the world there are going to be multiple people who just have unlimited or effectively unlimited financial resources and they don't care if it's the difference between 100 and 200 and 500,000 dollars is a rounding error for them they mm -hmm. want the nicest one and I have seen a lot of M3s in the last 30 years. That's the nicest one I've ever seen. It's the best color with the best spec. I mean, like, I, I, sure, if I was worth a billion bucks and, you know, I, was, I had a $31 million McLaren F1 and a $58 million Ferrari GTO and I wanted an E30 M3, I would just buy it. Right. It wouldn't matter. Um, so, the, you know... A good buddy of mine bought uh, a, a Golf R32 a couple of years ago, 2004 R32, for 44,000 bucks and was the laughing stock of the planet. I mean, just everyone was like, this dumb bleep, bleep, bleep. <laughs> well, one just sold with, in a similar condition to his for 58,000. Um, right now, there's where else are you, if you're rich, and I don't mean rich, I mean wealthy, wealthy. and you're a collector, where are you going to put your money? In the stock market? <laughs> Yeah. No, <laughs> you're not going to buy Tesla stock at $1,500 a share when the, com the, car hasn't, the company hasn't made a profit yet, right? You're going to put it in the stock market and know you're going to lose three quarters of it when the whole thing comes tumbling down this fall? No. Yeah. So you might as well put it in things you can enjoy, whether to drive or to look at. And I think that's what's happening. I think that's what's driving prices way up. That's insane. Yeah. When I said the price, I was like, I mean, I thought there was an error. I'm like, for sure it's an error or somebody just <laughs> overbidding and not 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 willing to pay or maybe it was a stunt you know pulled by by bat but yeah but you know what there was a three hundred and fifteen thousand dollar Datsun 240z a couple months ago there was a fifty thousand dollar civic last month i saw the civic that was pretty wild yeah yeah there's there are the, when you got the you have the one that's in the condition and is the right color the right spec the right whatever blah blah, blah and it's more than one person bidding on it well it's anyone's game. Um, it's true. And, it's like you know, look, that, that doesn't mean that every normal, like, 100,000-mile E30 M3 is suddenly worth 150 grand. That's definitely not the case. But <laughs> you know that people are going to push there, right? <laughs> yeah, they're going to try it. And what's going to happen is they're going to saturate the market because everyone's going to think, oh, you know, they, they're, they're, they're thinking they can go to Antiques Roadshow and, like, pull out some piece of crap from their grandmother's house and it's going to be worth billions of dollars. It's the same <laughs> thing that's going to happen. And that's going to push the prices down for a little while because there'll be way too much supply. And then it'll even out. But we can back up, what, seven years to when Randy Nonnenberg from Bring a Trailer bought Sam Smith's, uh, his white E30 M3 for 68,000 bucks. Or bought it for Sam and then sold it on BAT for 68 grand. And everyone was like, that is an outrage. Blah, 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 blah. Never going to happen, whatever. Yeah, give it a year. And everyone, they were all trading at 68. Um, yeah. So this will be the same. I mean, you know, your your normal M3s went up a little bit. Look, my my E30 wagon probably bumped ten grand in in its value, um, because now the the investor market has spoken, and these are now genuinely investor grade cars for the ones that are genuinely investor grade quality, and that's 
five of them. <laughs> All the other ones, you know, I've driven and <laughs> done terrible things to, and they'll never yeah. be the same. <laughs> but it doesn't really surprise me, honestly. I think there is there is always a buyer out there for every item. I'll I'll give like one example. I love sneakers, uh, as corny as that sounds. And there was this new uh, Jordan that came with uh, collaboration with Dior. And you know, I think that it retails for like two thousand dollars. They made like eight thousand pairs for the whole world, so very, very limited. It was a raffle, all that nonsense. But some of those pairs are selling for twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars. What? Sneakers, wow. Right. So it doesn't really surprise me that you see cars, you know, being that expensive. If people are actually willing to buy a sneaker for thirty thousand dollars, right? Yeah, you're right. I mean, if you and and the other thing is, like, I live in, you live, we probably most of us live in a world where. You know, fifty thousand bucks is a huge amount of money exactly. for anything, yeah. much less you know a pair of sneakers or an old car. But there, you know, the I get glimpses all the time into the the real collector car world where you know anything under a million is just you know child's play. <laughs> um, you know, all it takes is oh, to to go to Pebble Beach week. Well, not this year, but once. <laughs> And you're like, oh my God, I'm in this parking lot and here's a million dollar car and another million dollar car and a $3 million car and a $5 million car. Oh, and there's a cheap $900,000 gold wing. Teehee, what a piece right. of crap. You know, like yeah. it's just. It, it is very weird. Like I went to my first Pebble last year and it was a real culture shock for me. It was oh, yeah. very odd to see just the abundance of like Bugatti EB110s, things like, like mm -hmm. I. And that was kind of cheap for what was there. Oh, you know? yeah. Kind of Even crazy. Peasant car. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I mean, it's, it's for, I don't particularly enjoy, I find it a little bit offensive if I'm being honest, that the side of the business uh, of the industry where people are collecting cars as assets and trading them to make money on them. I just, yeah. it just rubs me the wrong way. Um, but like the, the way I explain to Pebble Beach to people all the time is one year I took my Scirocco and I was there with a friend who is a bit shy and I'm like, just FYI, there are going to be a lot of people taking pictures of this car. And he was like, no one is going to give a rat's ass about your stupid old Volkswagen. And I'm like, watch. Mm -hmm. And we wound up in a traffic jam in on Carmel Valley Road in a in a Bucati rally. And so we're stuck at this red light and we're surrounded by Veyrons and like old like Formula One cars, like old actual like <laughs> like 33s and stuff. And uh, we get stuck at this red light and three of the Bugatti guys jump out and are taking pictures of the Scirocco. And my buddy is like, what are, what is going on? And of course I jump out and I'm taking pictures of the guys taking pictures of this, of my car. <laughs> and I'm like, the thing is about Pebble Beach is yes, there's millions and millions and millions of billions possibly of dollars worth of cars here. But at the end of the day, it's a celebration of cool cars. And there are 200 Bugattis on this peninsula right now and one Scirocco. <laughs> so, so, you know, I don't mean to tell people like, don't go to Pebble Beach Week because it's a bunch of investors who I don't like. They're still car guys, a lot of them. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah, sure, yeah. And girls, so. so we're going to switch gears a bit and I'm going to let Nico uh, lead this one because I'm sure he's got some questions on the new BMW design stuff and all of that. It's, it's, a, it's a huge topic, honestly, not just for the BMW fans, but I guess for everyone. Yeah, so I think I'm just going to ask you, and just kind of, I'm just going to let you run with it because I, I have a feeling you have some opinions on it, and that's the the new four series and its grill. <laughs> I mean, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. I, I look, I think right now the car industry is in turmoil, and they are panicked. And I, I want you to imagine what. It would look like if someone were looking objectively at how you were acting and reacting to stimulus, if you were being chased by a bear who was on fire and, and had a <laughs> shotgun and, and, right. and looked like Freddy Krueger. And, you know, like just I want you to imagine the world's like the scariest scenario you could come up with. And so you'd be doing a whole lot of things that made no sense. You'd trip, you'd fall, you'd, you know, whatever. And I think this is an example of BMW trying their absolute hardest to stay relevant in a world where they are losing ground very quickly. Um, I think we can all agree that BMW is not the company it was. The cars are not the cars that they were. Um, whether you like them or not, there's been a fundamental shift in, uh, in that company. And they are falling from, from, I don't even want to say relevance, but they were the benchmark for everything. And now Tesla is the darling for everything. And they are the, they're the butt of all jokes. And, and at the same time, they're trying to be relevant in China. And what works in China and what works in the US tend to be very different things. 
So the X7's grill was, for example, very, very well received in China, apparently, allegedly, that's what I'm told. <laughs> um, and so that is a reaction for them to say, we need to get some attention. And I call it a pathetic, desperate attempt to, <laughs> to get somebody to, to, to look at you when you can't build a good car in the first place. So I just, yeah, I think so current here, management. So here's what they say. So I'm, I'm going to give you their side of the story. Because <laughs> okay. I've, I've, I've asked them many times. I mean, designers and all of that. Uh, sometimes I'm getting, you know, uh, more of a corporate answer. Sometimes I'm getting more of a personal answer. But I guess the uh, on the side where it's non-corporate language, I was told that, you know, for many years, you know, people have been asking for a more, uh, you know, bold car. They don't want to have a three series that looks like a four or like a five and then like a seven. They wanted to differentiate between them. So the idea was, you know, let's try to not make, you know, the same car in just different length. And that's kind of how they came up with the uh, four series. They also said that not necessarily uh, the the Kinegrill is not necessarily going to end up on other you know uh, products as well. So you will see it on the four series on the M3 and the M4, but that doesn't mean it's going to come to other models as well. So that's kind of what they what they say. I don't know if that's uh, if that's just you know corporate that lingo. It, it sounds like the words of a desperate person. I, I'm sorry. So, I mean, <laughs> what what was the best design era ever for BMW? I'm going to ask you two that, and then I'm going to tell you that you're wrong if you disagree with me, but I don't, I don't think you're going to. What was you the best design the era? The 80s. I was going to say the 90s. Okay. So you're thinking, like, I, I do everything in, in, in BMW in terms of, like, in, three series generations. So, Horatio, yeah. you're saying E30. Um, yeah. And... I would actually say it's early 2000s. Funny enough, we we have this. Really? Uh, yeah, the, just, the, I, I, I can I can agree with that. No, 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 no. God, no. I'm sorry. E46. The E46. The E46. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it, you'll notice one thing, right? So E30 generation, right? The the sort of that design language. We had E34, right? Which which is effectively mm -hmm. E30 with with corners, and E30 with like turn signals on the corner. E32. The three cars look the same. Uh, the second generation, you know, that we're, we're talking about is um, E36, where that was the sort of first foray before we got into E39, E38, which were absolutely stunning, in my opinion. Um, but both of those, all three of the decades that we've talked about, same sausage, different length. Yeah, that's true. Right. Right. There's a lot of similarities there right. across them, right? What is the problem? And, and Mercedes heyday, by the way, was the, the 201, 124, uh, 126 days. So the early, early 80s into the mid 80s were that, you know, the 300E and the 190E, whatever. All of those have one thing in common, which is same sausage, different length. It was one great, easily identifiable, distinct, uh, identifiable, distinct styling language that worked in every size. There's no problem with that. And the fact that BMW keeps trying to undo that is so stupid when, when they've been so successful at it in the past. And I think what they're saying is people aren't finding the, if I'm reading into the words that, that you just yeah. read back ratio, people are saying, I don't find these three series appealing, so I want something different. And what they're not asking for is big woodchuck teeth looking grill. I think they're looking <laughs> for a car that's genuinely distinctive from other cars on the road. And, you know, F30, I think, was actually a really great looking car. I, I, I'm not a fan of that car in so many ways, but I think certainly towards the end, it was noise? great looking. Um, G20 is not a bad looking car either. Um, yeah, I like the G20 it, actually. But it looks like a Lexus. And it does, it does a little bit, so, yeah, the back. Right, and so like, I, I'll give credit where it's due. I think their designers are, are good and the cars are fine. They're pretty, they're genuinely well-proportioned mostly until you get to the, the two series Grand Corolla. But they... Uh, but they're not distinctive. And I think what, what, what BMW's designers are saying is customers are looking elsewhere and we want them to look at the 3 Series. But that doesn't mean you got to make the car ugly. That just means it should have its own identity. And if it's one thing that from the outside of the BMW enthusiast world I see is that BMW as a company has absolutely no confidence. Um, they're running scared all the time. They're like, oh, oh, oh. I can't say that word that I was going to say. <laughs> oh, darn, Audi is putting silver mirror caps on, so we're going to do it. But, you know, they're doing brushed stainless steel, so we just got to do a painted gray. And, oh, no, Mercedes is doing this, so we got to do that. And they're all chasing each other's tails. Yeah. Rather than BMW say, listen, MFers, we are the ultimate driving machine. 
we have been on top of this world for 20 years and we're going to make the best sports sedans in the world. And if you don't like that the steering wheel dances in your hand, F you, go buy a Mercedes, right? They, they lack that confidence. And so they lack the ability to come up with a, a design. And I don't mean a styling element like a kidney mm -hmm. grow. I'm talking about the car's design from start to finish that's genuinely distinctive. They, they, have, they don't have the confidence to do it because you know that some manager somewhere is like, yeah, this is too, this is too polarizing. We, may, we must appeal to more and more people. Well, as, as I said for years, the more people something appeals to, the less it appeals to, to your core group of enthusiasts. And so that was what I said when E90 M3 came out. And there was a very nice M5. I mean, it said M3 on the back, but there was nothing M3 about the car. It was an M5. Um, it was a 4,000-pound V8, you know, sedan with a big back seat. Right. And it, was a, it was a really nice M5. Uh, um, but, you know, the, my problem with, with that was their goal wasn't like – they literally told us in the, in, when they launched this car what their goals were. And it wasn't, we want to capture the magic of the E30 but make it in a more usable package. Or instead, they didn't say, like, we want – E46 was the best-selling – um, M3 of all time. And we distilled what made that car such a perfect example of what an M3 should be. So we went back and en engineered another, like a modern day E46. No, all they said was, we sold 110,000 M3s, E46s every year. We need to do better than that. We want to sell even more of this. And like, right. again, you want to backhand these guys with it. With like, you know, like, what are you talking about? You shouldn't want to sell. 500,000 M3s you to a bunch of people who couldn't care less. You should want to make fewer than you can sell to keep the mystique up because again, M3 defines this whole brand. So make a car that, that your grandmother isn't going to buy by mistake, right? Make a car that's seriously an M car. Um, and the trickle down effect is that people will want the 340s and 330s and stuff like that. And they chickened out and they made an, an M3 that was far too close to being quote unquote, don't hate me, a Camry. And by a Camry, I mean offensive to no one, um, but also loved by no one. And the E90, like that engine, my God, unbelievable. The, the car was really good, but they just, they started down that path of like, we have to sell more, sell more, sell more, sell more. And the result is you sell more. And now we're in a situation, if you drive through, for example, Beverly Hills, you don't see a single BMW parked in front of any shop any boutique, any anything. You see BMWs parked in front of everyone's houses for a couple of hours a day during the day. And that means they're, I, I'm, I'm not, I mean, no offense to, to anyone by this, but that means their housekeepers are driving the three series. And when you're, when the three series are $369 a month police and a Corolla is $329 a month, at least right. and BMWs are competing on prices and making cars that, you know, your grandmother might buy my mistake. Oh, look, I bought this M3 because it was so pretty. Um, you're getting the wrong customers in. And so that explains why BMW is saying, oh my God, enthusiasts aren't buying our cars anymore. The people who we want to buy these cars aren't. We have to do something to get their attention. Well, I hate to tell you, buddy, it's not putting a woodchuck grill on the front of your car. But, <laughs> but they don't have the confidence to do a ground up redesign. Give me an E30 size or even fine E36 size, naturally aspirated, 8,000 RPM, straight six, kick you in the balls at 4,000 RPM, manual transmission sports sedan that would make my mom go, my tits are hitting me on the chin. <laughs> then you understand how to get the attention of enthusiasts. No, Not right, yeah. So if you <laughs> don't ask about my mom's boobs, by the way, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so Jason, if you go back 25 years and you would have seen the E60 uh, M5 and the 5 series, wouldn't you say the same thing as you did now? I'm just what? playing the devil's advocate now. That they were horrible? Like that, yeah, it was kind of weird. It was very quirky and kind of strange. And now people love it. Do they? Okay. They so do, yeah. The way this worked was in December of 2009, I had my five, 97 528. So I had first year E39. And now the last year cars were on clearance. before, And I took one look at that E60 and I was like, oh, hell no. And I had my dealer do a nationwide search for an E39 wagon. And he was like, dude, this is going to cost you twice as much i can give you a new e60 for like 379 a month and i'm like you could get, you could pay me 379 a month and i'm not driving that car <laughs> People love you, would, you, you would be surprised actually it is coming you back know what they love, they I don't love get that it. engine 
That uh, engine too. They feel like it's different. They feel like Bengal did a great job. Now, I mean, they hated Bengal, right? Now they love Bengal. So that's kind of that's kind of the sentiment that I'm seeing today. I, I, I think that's going to be short lived because anyone who buys one of those cars and gets a four hundred thousand dollar repair bill every week is just going to junk it. Yeah, these sixties are like. You know, I unfortunately know too many people who work on BMWs for a living. And like E60s show up and they just start shaking their head and twitching. Like, oh no, I, they're just not serviceable cars. Um, and the V8s are definitely not worth the drama. The, the six cylinders are just mm, like too many little issues. And the yeah. M5, sure, it's got an S85 in it. Like you can't, other than the SMG nightmare, you can't, you can't fault that car <laughs> Once you hear the engine, it's like over. Not yeah, I feel like it's it, it it's basically just a ugly package wrapped wrapped around an incredible engine. It, it, uh, I think it's the only reason why people. I think so too, and it, they do look distinctive. Like the one thing I will say about E60s is they they still do look distinctive. Um, they were never hideous in the way that like in e, the E65 when it came out. Like I wanted to step on it like a mosquito. <laughs> like I was like, oh my god, it's horrible. Like. It, the, the, you know, I was never violent about the E60, but I think the E60 doesn't, the E60's ownership and driving experience isn't, isn't enough to overcome anything. Uh, certainly when you have an E39 as a reference point. Like I just right. don't think yeah, but the E60 M5 wagon was pretty cool, though. That's really cool. But first of all, anything is a wagon. A Chevy Cavalier <laughs> wagon. <laughs> yeah, wagon <laughs> ups the cool factor a lot. Right. Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you, Hershey. I haven't heard too many people saying like, and I'm not really that plugged in, but I, I don't know of anyone saying E60s have gotten great looking in their day. Um, it's, I think the, it's the it, it came back since the whole four series Kenny Grill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that kind of brought back a a lot of nostalgia for even unloved BMW designs. Well, okay, you know what? Maybe we're happening. We're saying, well, <laughs> you know, we thought that was bad. <laughs> Look at this. But yeah. I, look, I actually don't think the four, the four series is that bad looking. It's just it looks like a Photoshop. Um, it looks like a it looks like a, a meme. It looks yeah, it looks fake. like a weird render. Yeah. yeah, and we'll get we'll get used to it. We'll get uh, used to it. at the end of the day. We'll get used. We can get used to anything. You know, no one flinches when they see an E sixty five on the road. It is still one of the top five most horrible looking cars sedans ever made. Um, but we're used to it. Um, we're used to Aztecs. Like there were so many cars that were just <laughs> genuinely vomit-inducing when they came out, and now they're just like, oh yeah, I remember that old thing. Um, and this four series will be that way too. It's not the end of the world, but it shows like it shows a clear attempt. It's like an it, it's like I'm trying to figure out an analogy without being offensive. It's just someone doing pathetic things to try to get it to get noticed rather than. Rather than just be a, a good person, <laughs> just be, be confident. Like I, we're just going to look back at it and say, like, what were they doing? Why, why were they trying that hard? Um, yeah. If, you know. No, as an enthusiast, what do you think? So the M3 and M4 will have a, a very similar kidney grill, and and it's going to be just as polarizing. But do you think for an enthusiast, will actually matter the design on the M3 and M4 more than the drive? Or if the car drives fantastic, do you think people will even care about that design? People certainly forgive a bad design if the car drives fantastic. I think that's that's for sure. Um, at the end of the day, BMW's reputation has so much momentum that the example that I give all the time is if Mercedes didn't put itself out of business with the absolute piles of crap that they made through the end of the 90s and in the early 2000s, then no car company is killable by making bad product. And uh, BMW is in a, at a point where they've strayed, I feel, so far away from what we and, as enthusiasts expect them to do so, to, to, to create. And most of the enthusiast community hasn't, didn't notice for the first 10 years. Um, even the magazines. I mean, the F30 came out and these guys were like, this is incredible. And I'm like, you guys have lost your minds. The steering was um, terrible on that the, car. The whole car was terrible. And the, you know, I, not, I don't want to like be all patty on the back thing, but I, I own cars. I drive my cars. And a lot of journalists don't, number one. Yeah. Um, and they don't have, it's really important to have cars that serve as a benchmark, right? So my E30 serves as a benchmark for engine smoothness and for steering feel for an assisted power steering setup. And, you know, my VWs 
uh, I've built 16 valves in them. And they serve as my benchmark for power delivery and for sound. And my Lotus Elise serves as a benchmark for overall steering and you know mid-engine lightness and all the rest. Of the, all these cars service them. And if you don't have something to go back to, to compare it to, sometimes it's easy to lose sight of what an older car was like when you when you're stuck in new car land. Um, and yeah, I made very true. Yeah, it's really easy. And and I think the car companies say that too. Like I've worked with BMW, I've con- I've done consulting with them. Um, and I've told the chassis guys, like, if you really think this is good, just go and drive an E30. Just go and drive an E30 because clearly you have no idea what good steering actually feels like. Or go drive an E90. Like, you know, E90s, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of those cars anyway because maintenance, but hey, they had really good steering. They did, um, and especially like when you look back, especially compared to now. Yeah, go drive, and I tell them all, go drive a ZHP, a ZHP E46. Yeah, exactly. That is oh the benchmark, yeah. the best three series ever made. And so don't be telling me this is technologically superior to this or the other thing. Bullshit. Because you, you're going to get back in an E46 and your mind is going to be blown. Um, so, so, you know, it took 10 years for the car and drivers of the world. And I say that with a lot of respect for those guys, but you know, it wasn't until the end of the F30 run that they started really getting hard on F30s. Like, you know, early on, you know, I were driving these cars and I'm like, this, how is this flexible, no structure POS ever going to be made into an M3 only to find out that years later M said, no. We're not making an M3 out of it. You need to reinforce the front, the front structure of the car. And that's why 4 Series got all the structural reinforcements that went into 3 Series LCI. Like, it was there. And everyone knew. But the momentum was such that no one noticed. And the, it's finally happening here in the Bay Area where I don't know anyone with a new BMW anymore. The, all of the BMW guys have just moved to Tesla which is very weird, including yeah. the guys who were like violently anti-Tesla, like wanted Elon like to burn at the stake and like <laughs> anyone who drives that car is smelling their own farts and whatever, blah, blah, blah. They all drive Teslas now. Really? Um, yep. I, oh, I know Connor. no one with a new BMW. No one. Yeah, Except sure. M2s. Oh, M2s. Yeah, that's a great car, yeah. Actually, I did the car. He's uh, he's in California now too, working there. He's I mean, he did a fantastic job with that car, design wise. I mean, and in engineering too. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's the kind of the only car that BMW makes that really feels like a BMW to me. (laughs) So that was just part one of the two part interview. We're gonna cut it off right there, and you can stay tuned for the second part coming up soon. But you should check out Jason Camisi's Instagram because he's got a lot of interesting stuff uh, coming soon and a lot of new projects coming. So check out his Instagram for uh, any of his new stuff, new videos, and uh, stay tuned for the second episode.